just talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way, it might be really good. Wow. Welcome, everyone, to Episode 9 of Some Like It, Scott, part of the Media Plug Podcast Network. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and I'm here today with my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. You know, we are fully ingrained in exam season now, which, if you know anything about law school exams, is it can be pretty hellish because you're, uh, everything comes down to the exam. It's 100% of your grade, and Jeez. you're graded against the other 39 people in your section. So... The pressure is really on, and it doesn't help that all there's a lot of sports going on right now, too. Um, and not to mention, uh, you know, Infinity War, um, yeah. which we're going to talk about on this episode. That, so. That's probably huge, but, though, for you, right? You, you know, you're not as interested in, in Infinity War, if we're being honest, as a lot of probably your classmates are, because for whatever yeah, reason. I'm, but. I'm not, maybe. Um, and I know that some of my classmates also have already seen this movie, but I have to say, like, I was kind of excited going into it. We'll talk about it a little bit more when we get into our review, but uh, I was still excited, even though I'm not, you know, one of these people who's really ingrained in the superhero universe. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it, it it's a movie worth getting excited about. Ten years worth of work. Uh, yeah, it's not just a movie; like it's an event. Yeah, like, it really is. It is a full spectacle. So, I mean, we're already talking about. It. Why don't we just go ahead and jump in? The main movie we're talking about today is the one that literally has been a decade coming. So, there's no reason to wait any longer. Avengers: Infinity War, directed by Anthony and Joe Russo, debuted this past weekend and has already hauled in over six hundred and thirty million dollars at the global box office blowing out the previous record held by the fate of the furious which kind of surprised me of a 543 million dollar opening weekend i imagine that fate of the furious probably relied heavier more or i should say more heavily on the on the worldwide box office as opposed to the u.s but infinity war uh, i believe made around 250 million at the u.s box office which is also just gigantic um, the cast list is too long to even begin to read off, but needless to say, it's chock full with recognizable names: Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, the headliners from back at the from the very beginning of the MCU. And between the cast list and the VFX budget, uh, those probably explain its three hundred to four hundred million dollar overall budget for the movie before you even start to factor in the marketing budget for it. Just absurd how much money uh, they spend and how much money they'll, regardless, still make on this movie. Infinity War takes place in the immediate aftermath of a combination of Thor Ragnarok and Black Panther, if you're caught up on the MCU uh, lore movie series, uh, where Thanos, who is the big bad of the MCU currently, has set out himself to collect all six of the Infinity Stones, stones which grant certain powers to the wielders, and the mythos of the Infinity Stones is that if you wield all six, you can pretty much do whatever you want, uh... With the world, and, and Thanos' mission is to essentially eradicate half of the universe to create balance. So, as the plot unfolds, the Avengers, the Guardians of the Galaxy, and nearly all the other heroes of the MCU thus far must join forces, sometimes galaxies apart, to try and prevent Thanos from collecting all six of these stones. 
All right, I'll stop there to avoid any story spoilers for those out there who have yet to see it. But uh, we should say that from now on, we'll, we'll be talking spoilers because from the very first scene in this movie, there are huge spoilers, uh, which we are going to go into. But Scott, to start off with, you know, you've already mentioned it. You're not the biggest comic book movie fan uh, relative to other people and relative to me, I think it's safe to say. But what were your general impressions of this movie? Yeah, so, well, I should clarify, you know, when I say that I'm not a huge fan of these types of movies, I mean, I have seen most of them. Like, what, this is the 18th movie in the MCU, correct? I believe that's correct. Okay, well, if, yeah. Whatever I, whatever well, joke I, just, I made last week about, or last time, right, about yeah. the movies. It's either, like, 17 or 18. I, like, and I would venture to say that it's I've 18. seen probably 13 of these movies at least. Okay. And I have enjoyed, with the exception of, like, the first Captain America movie, I think, is the one which I didn't really like. But the rest, um, like, I have had positive feelings about, obviously, to varying degrees. Like, I think some are better than others, as everyone does. Sure. Um, but I have had positive feelings. Like, I think Marvel does a great job with these movies. Like, I think that they strike a perfect tone. I think that they've, you know, cast all of their heroes and villains, for that matter, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, it, it's just, I am not ingrained in this universe and i'm like i'm not committed enough to where i like have seen these movies multiple times um and so for that reason like going into this movie i even though i you know it hasn't been that long really since i watched civil war i was like i better you know read some plot summaries or something so i went (laughs) on you know i went on wikipedia i read about a couple of the more recent like especially for like the phase three um, movies like especially Civil War, because I think that's the one that probably um, gives, a, like, the, where the characters are in terms of their relationships Yep. at the beginning of this movie yep. is, like, directly follows from Civil War. So if you're someone like me who um, is not... A more casual the, fan. A more casual fan, we'll say. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, then I would definitely recommend doing that, just, like, catching yourself up on where the whole story is before you go into this movie, uh, because I did find that it helped me, and they do do some things, like, some small things to kind of catch you up, especially because, like, especially through the character of Hulk, because Hulk has kind of been, like, out of commission, and so there's these moments where yeah. the other characters have to explain to him what is going on, like, yeah. Tony yeah. Stark has to explain to him, like, early in the movie, why he and cap or basically ghosting each other yeah um and so like you know you get those little moments where if you're not totally up to date that helps out yeah um, and, that, and that's largely a product of you know thor ragnarok and and age of ultron being important movies to have seen too to understand hulks uh yeah, what, what's been happening exactly. with him yep um so so yeah so that was like my perspective going into this movie but like i said i was excited for it because it is i mean this is an event this has been 10 years in the making like you said um finally we were going to see pretty much everyone with the exception of like hawkeye and ant-man i think are like the two main main people who are missing from this one and they explain why they're not why they're not part of it but um (laughs) very briefly in the post-credit scene right (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) for the most part the gang is all here um so um, you know, I, I was I was definitely excited. You know, when those opening when that opening logo came, came on, which by the way, like in that complete logo, silence, that, that whole sequence is awesome now. Yeah, um, at and the start of the Marvel movies. and the fact that this one was in complete silence was crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, although you know, Alan Silvestri's famous like music oh, does yeah. mm-hmm. certainly uh, make its impact in this movie. Um, but so, like, my overall impressions are, I guess, um, you know. It, 
this is perhaps this is not a very cutting criticism, nor is, will it come as any surprise to anyone that with a movie like this one that is like 12 hours long and jams so many characters like into it, that there are things which work very well and there are things which don't work as well. Sure. Um, and, but, you know, I almost feel bad criticizing some of these things because I think that the filmmakers, the Russo brothers, do actually do, pretty much do about the best possible job that they could with as much as they have to jam into this movie. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, this is this is a movie where, because, you know, this is what everyone's been waiting for for the last 10 years, you know, everyone wants to see all of the characters, um, you know, all, and, and this, this huge battle between all of the characters and, you know, everything coming together. And, like, it's just not possible to pull off that kind of thing without sacrificing some at least some like you know some narrative cohesion and also some like tonal consistency um so like i think you know that's a couple areas where this movie does suffer a little bit you know i think that although i like the way that it breaks up everything into sort of individual stories like you sort of have like three or four individual subplots going on yeah there are several um, threads at the same time yeah i think that sometimes it can be a little too jumpy or you know it suffers because some of the stories maybe aren't as interesting as some of the others and some of the characters maybe aren't as interesting as some of the others um and also you know the tone of the movie although i do think that it's for the most part they strike a pretty consistent tone throughout of you know you know it's it's the tone that we've seen throughout most of the marvel universe of um you know a good mix of humor and like seriousness um I, I, I do think there are some inconsistencies still. Um, like, I think maybe there are some times when they lean into the humor maybe a bit too much. Um, but, like I said, it, you know, it's kind of hard to criticize these things because that, but those these are just inevitable um, in a movie like this. And I think that the Russo brothers do a really good job uh, with what they're given um, of, you know, and, and especially with the plot because the plot is very it's very simple to understand. Like, it's very easy to follow for the most part. And like, you know, these movies, which are so shrouded in mythology and there's so much background leading up to this movie. Like, I think there was the potential for people to just be lost for, you know, the plot to get really in the Mm -hmm. weeds. But the fact that, you know, it stays focused on the whole time of, of this, of Thanos's quest to get these infinity stones. Like it never really deviates from the course of that's what's going on. And, You know, if Thanos gets these Infinity Stones, then he's going to take over the world. Which, like, you know, is perhaps not the most original thing. Like, especially 18 movies into this Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like, and there's a scene towards the beginning where Tony and Pepper are, like, walking through the park. And uh, Stephen Strange, like, emerges from his little, like, wormhole thing. And is like, we need you to come with with me, uh, with us, like the fate of the universe is at stake. And I'm like, well, yeah, of course it is. Like, it's been at stake in every one of these movies. Um, and at, at the same time, like, I I, uh, I wonder, like, New York City, like, it has taken so much of a beating in all of these movies. Like, only the only of one of City them, now must just be, like, really bored of this whole thing. But, um, yeah. but I think that it does a really good job at the plot, even though we do have this familiar, oh, you know, the, the, the fate of the world is at stake. I think it, like, raises the stakes really well. Um, and it does so in a way that doesn't confuse us or doesn't, you know, leave me, leave me asking too many questions. Like I, you know, I always felt like I knew 
where I was and what was going on with this movie. And, you know, as what I think has been the hallmark of this series, really, this, this whole, the whole MCU, is that the strong parts of it are really the characters and the relationships between these characters. Um, and I think that even though Joss Whedon isn't, you know, isn't involved with this one like he was with the last two Avengers movies, I think we still get that really like that great banter between the characters and like the, the, there's just a real ease between all of these characters when they are and with, with the dialogue and when they're interacting with each other yep. that, you know, really gets you invested in these characters so that even when you have these big action set pieces where sometimes it's kind of hard to follow what's going on and sometimes, you know, there's not a lot of humanity in these action sequences. Um, you're still invested because, of, you know, these characters have been built up so well. Um, with that being said, uh, there were some things which I didn't like about this movie, and um, I guess the main thing would be the ending, which we'll probably talk about a little yeah. bit later on. Yeah, we'll talk. Um, let's save that. We'll talk about that at the end. But overall, um, I was pretty satisfied. Like, like I said, I think the Russo brothers did about as good of a job as you can expect, and I think that all of the, you know, hallmarks of the MCU franchise, all the things that have made this franchise so great, are, are all present here, and I, I can't imagine that many people whether you're a casual fan like me or whether you're a devoted fan like Scott will like not be satisfied coming out of this movie to some degree. Yeah. I think the way that I've described it to people that I've talked to in short since seeing it yesterday is really focusing on, it's like such a spectacle. Like it's an event. Yeah. It's something that like, like as long as the movie isn't garbage, it's, it's still just something incredible to behold in my, from my view. If you think about, you know, just thinking about Kevin Feige and what he's been able to accomplish as the executive producer behind the MCU and the real soul and driving force behind it, even from the very beginning with the first Iron Man movie, is just, it's incredible to me. And the good news is that I think this is a good movie. I think it, it's not necessarily a great movie, but I think it is a good one. And it certainly has its shortcomings, but it it captures everything that's endearing. And I think this is what you you know, spoke, have spoken so well about already, endearing about the MCU, that it has good action sequences, it has a well-cast villain, even if the villain is disappointing, which I'll get into in a little bit. Um, it has, you know, characters who I've already mentioned aren't endearing, like the dialogue between characters, the relationships, the chemistry that you see on screen, for the most part, is incredibly strong and has been pretty consistent, consistently strong throughout the MCU. Uh, and the 18 movies now that have been in it. And that's something that you get in Infinity War to the nth degree, I think. the You know, as you mentioned, that's broken down into different threads. You have, you know, Iron Man and Spider-Man, and then also Doctor Strange, who's kind of a new element in that dynamic, which, if for those of you who have seen Spider-Man Homecoming, you get the Tony, uh, Peter Parker dynamic. Uh, you get a lot of that in that movie, and you can understand the background behind those two characters and then you introduce the guardians of the galaxy and then in another thread you get thor with rocket the raccoon which is just crazy but their chemistry works <laughs> and, uh, Groot, and teenage Groot. yeah teen Groot. my one of my least favorite characters in the mcu yeah. he's a really <laughs> bad character but i understand there are a lot of people out there who love Groot a lot um <laughs> and then you also have captain america and you have wanda and vision I, I Scarlet Witch. Um, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I'll just interject and say that that was the that was the plot thread which was probably the least interesting to me. Um, sure. Like, I I will say that I think that I I 
found the relationship between Vision and Scarlet Witch to actually be like kind of touching, like kind of affecting. Mm-hmm. But I, that's really the only good thing about this subplot until they get to Wakanda, which is like really late in the movie. Yep. Um, like, I don't know. I just, Captain America is definitely my least favorite of like the mm-hmm. main MCU heroes. Like, yeah. and I, it's nothing against Chris Evans. Chris Evans. I just think it's kind of a bland character. And I definitely don't think he does really anything to energize the character in this movie. And the same thing with, uh, Natasha Black Widow. Like, yeah. I think, like, some of the stuff which I've enjoyed from the characters in the past, like... The fire's not there anymore. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, there, there's not, like, the the banter between Black Widow and Captain yeah. America yeah. is kind of missing from this movie. And, you know, maybe there's a reason for that, but I always, you know, that was, that was the one thread, I guess, where when they went back to it, I was like, eh, this doesn't really do anything for me. Like, I, I, I definitely enjoyed, particularly particularly the Iron Man, Doctor Strange, Spider-Man thread. Yep. Um, like, all of the other threads really were, worked um, better for me than that one, except, like, when I said when they got to Wakanda. Yeah, I mean, for me, I actually... I agree with you for the most part. I think that's the least interesting. For me, coming from a, di- a slightly different perspective, a little bit more into the MCU, I find, as touching as Vision and Wanda's relation, or I should say Scarlet Witch's relationship is, I find, like... Scarlet Witch to be almost like I like I actually like Elizabeth Olsen, but oh, yeah, I find I her character to just be terrible in the MCU. Like I mean I don't know how how into like the background of the character you're into, but like just for starters at the superficial level, like I don't understand why she has an accent and it is terrible. It's like objectively really bad. Um, and I know that's like a minor complaint, but like at some point I feel like she just drops the accent like halfway through the movie, then like maybe picks it back up at the end. I'm not sure. Yeah, well, that was see, like I I never even heard her having an accent in this movie, and but like I remember her having an accent in like Age of Ultron. So I was like really confused about like yeah. I was like, did she drop the act? Did she just become American? Because she's so she's, bad like, at now it. having a relationship with Paul Bettany. <laughs> um, but so so like I honestly I never even picked up on her having an accent in this movie at all. But yeah. I did. They did you know strike me as a little weird because i do remember the character having an accent from age of ultron yeah i mean there's she's supposed to be <laughs> from sokovia so sokovia, which is uh, yeah. central european i think or eastern european anyway yeah. i think I, I don't love that i don't love that thread because i i'm not not in love with either vision or scarlet witch as characters i think that they do their thing but like their their actually like their relationship doesn't do much for me um but I, I also take your point that, like, at the end, in Wakanda, like, in some ways it was, it was like, I, there was a real struggle there at the end. And I know we're kind of jumping around here when she, you know, when she is the one who try, who destroys Vision um, to save the universe. Not and only then, that, but after she has to kill him, then she has to watch him come back to yeah. life again for, like, five seconds. To be killed. Only to be killed again, which is pretty brutal. Yeah. I agree, and then I, I, so yeah, and I, I will say, in spite of this maybe being the least inspiring of the plot lines, uh, I, the most spine tingling moments for me actually in this movie happen in this in this thread. Uh, for yeah. the first being when Captain America first shows up in Scotland, that moment is like, oh, it was good, uh, for me as a as just a fan of, uh, and obviously knowing that he's kind of been quote unquote in exile. I mean, you know, he's gonna come back in this movie if you see if you've seen one of the trailers, but. Sure. Um, that was a big moment, and then also the 
in Wakanda when they're in Wakanda and when they open the gates and then they start charging Wakanda forever yeah, that, always gets that me. That was a great moment. Like, yeah, that was one of the most, maybe the best action sequence in the movie. Yeah, and then but besides, but yeah, like those are the spine tingling moments that were good for me. I want to talk about a little bit of the negatives for me in the film because I think that overall you've covered the positives really well and I yeah. think that I've touched on them already too. I think that the negatives for me is that I'm. I'm surprised you haven't harped more on this, but this movie is really long, and I don't think it's well-paced. Um, I think it's constant action. And it does, it tries to pace it by breaking these into different threads. And it, you mentioned that it was kind of choppy, which I agree with. Though for the most part, I think they did a pretty good job keeping all 1,000 characters on the screen through the movie. <laughs> um, yeah. But I found it to be an exhausting movie to sit through, in some ways. As awesome as it was, and as much as I did enjoy the movie, I... Checked my watch very frequently and was like, oh, crap. How has it only been 45 minutes in this movie? <laughs> and part of that is just... Yeah, and part of that is because they just drop you straight in to, like, yeah. a huge scene. The very first scene. And I think that that kind of set a tone for, oh, okay, like, big things happen very frequently. And so there's, like... And there was... I never really felt like there was a rest. Because it goes from that scene back to Earth and then, like, they're invading Earth. And another invasion of Earth. It's, it's, it just really is nonstop. And I was fine with it because I'm into this universe. I'm into these characters. I enjoy it. But it felt long to me. And it is a yeah, long movie. Well, it's two and a half hours. So, I mean, strangely... Um, I know. This this is going to be crazy. We've, we've, we've flipped positions. Yeah, I know. We've like, we really have reversed roles to some extent here. Like, the length... I think it was probably just because I knew that this movie was like incredibly long going into it um it didn't it wasn't like way 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 long to me like i i was pretty engaged throughout the entire thing i think because it does keep things moving like throughout the entire movie really there there aren't really any lulls in the action or lulls in the story um that's true but with that being said i did like feel the same sort of exhaustion like probably not when I was watching the movie, but like when I came, finally came out of the movie, because like I went to see this movie at one o'clock in the afternoon. And when I came out of the movie, it was like four fifteen, four thirty, And I was like, the entire day has like, is gone. Like there's I've nothing left the for the entire day. And I, and I did, you know, feel that exhaustion set in a little bit because it just like, it does take a lot out of you, like both your senses and like your emotions as well. Half of the universe was gone when you walked out of the movie theater. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And my, my only other big complaint, which I think will segue nicely into something. One of the points that I want to talk about here, uh, before we talk about maybe the plot and the finale is Thanos. I actually really don't think he's a very good villain. Uh, Josh Brolin, I think, does incredibly well with his uh, voice, uh, voiceover and motion capture. I guess it's not voiceover with motion capture, but uh, with his performance. And he's, he's. I mean, the fact that he's also uh, in as Cable in Deadpool 2 speaks to uh, how good he is as, as a villain and a menacing persona. But I find right. Thanos' character to be pretty uninspiring as a villain, and I'm thinking particularly with what they try to do with his relationship with Gamora. And I don't know if this struck struck you the same way, but for me, the this movie tries so hard to convince you that he loves Gamora. And I don't know if it's from my background in the MCU or if it's only this like this movie and 
it's not necessarily again. I don't want to. I don't think it's necessarily Josh Brolin's performance. I actually think this falls back on the Russo brothers and also Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, who are the writers. Is that the, at no point in this movie did I really buy into Thanos giving a crap about Gamora? Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I kind of had the opposite reaction. Like, okay, I thought that Thanos was a really good villain, and one of the main reasons why I thought he was a really good villain was because of this subplot. Well, because mm. I th- I thought that it really added like some pathos to the character. Like Mm -hmm. you really, you really got some like internal struggle that you don't really get in villains in a lot of these movies. And, you know, I, I kind of did get the sense that he loved her like in the end, because Mm -hmm. I mean, when he has to get the soul stone, you know, the whole thing is, you have to, you have to sacrifice someone you love. And like, you know, I don't know how this magic works or whatever, but I'm guessing that if he didn't truly love her, then he wouldn't have been able to get the soul stone even if he had oh sure her, even when he did throw her off of the mountain. yeah 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 no I I don't mean I don't mean to say that I don't think that he's you didn't faking believe it. it based on the I just yeah like there's like no n- nothing that Josh Brolin could do could convince me that he yeah. that Thanos as the ultimate bad guy in the universe gives a crap about this adopted daughter of his who he also like tortured and beat as a child like yeah. That, I mean, that's just yeah. me. That that's just me, and like you can totally feel differently. But I just think knowing knowing Thanos, and maybe also part of this comes from the comics because the comics have a very different background for him um, in terms of his motivations for this. But yeah, for me, it didn't do it. I I get the whole strange kind of demented bringing balance to the universe and wanting to eradicate people so that the so that the world survives. Essentially, I I, I even kind of like. I'll even like go with that because I think that is a that even some in some ways that's even a stretch as well, but this whole relationship driving his um, his actions and decision making with particularly his relationship with Gamora, it, it I just didn't work for me. It didn't work for me. I didn't buy it. it was, I thought it was the weakest part of the movie. Yeah, I think I mean you know I, like I said it it, I, it did work for me for the most part, but I think that it is a little thin on like the backdrop. And you know this is something I don't know if they touched on it at all in like Guardians of the Galaxy Part Two because that's one that I haven't seen. No, they didn't. But, Just in Volume One. Well, yeah. Well, so I mean they don't give you a lot of background on the relationship. Like we have one cutscene basically. Yep. Um, like what one flashback? Yep. Um, where we see you know sort of how these two characters were introduced to each other. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It, 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 I agree that it does feel like there's something missing there. Like something there, there's something more in the, this backstory that, you know, explains why their relationship is the way that it is. Yep. But it still worked for me. I think just because it, it shows a side of a, a villain, you know, of a villain that we don't usually get from villains. And also, you know, another thing that has always strikes me about villains, especially in these Avengers movies is like, you ha- it's really hard to make a villain for these movies because when you're going up against the Avengers, it's like, how can you make a villain that is going to be like actually pose a threat against the world's greatest heroes? Like, yep. you know, if if you don't, if you can't do that, then b- b- because like my reaction is always going to be like, well, yeah, it's it's the world's greatest heroes. Of course they're going to win. Like, who cares what the, who the villain is? Like, you know. It, it's just one guy like so so that's part of the 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 struggle to me is how do you create a villain that where there is genuine suspense about whether the avengers are actually going to be able to win or not um and i I, you know i did get that with thanos like throughout i thought that he constantly posed a threat to them oh Um, for sure and you know 
I, I, I constantly had, did have the doubts in my mind about whether the Avengers were going to prevail, and of course, they don't prevail in the end. Yeah, and I think that segues nicely. Why don't we go ahead and talk about the plot, and I think in particular we're interested in talking about the finale of the plot. Um, we talked about the different threads and how they tie together, and th- I don't think there's any reason to dive too deep into the plot. I mean, we can reference all parts of it in our discussion of the finale, but yeah, they the Avengers don't win in this movie, to your point, and it's the first time they don't win, and, and they really don't win in this movie. Yeah, well, so before we talk about, like, hashtag everyone dies, um, I wanted, I like, I sort of had a question for you about, like, something sort of technical that you might be that you might know better than i do but so when they're getting the infinity stones like what they're trying to do at the end of the movie is destroy the the infinity stone that vision has correct um so that uh thanos can't possess it but then of course what thanos does is that he uses the time stone to turn back time because he's gotten the time stone from dr strange Mm -hmm. um but why is there a reason why they couldn't have destroyed like let's say why they couldn't have destroyed the time stone for example because dr strange had the time stone like at the beginning of the movie so why didn't he just like what are the repercussions i mean are there repercussions to if he had just gone ahead and destroyed this that was just one thing that struck my yeah i think that's a complicated question and it's there's not a i don't think there's going to be a satisfying answer for you i think that the answer is i guess they could have there aren't too many people who have the power to destroy it like maybe thor could with his lightning um although he's not around at the beginning of the film and doctor doctor strange probably could have destroyed it if he wanted to yeah i'm not sure but i mean also have you have you seen doctor strange i haven't okay yeah so so the whole part of the plot behind that is that he like their part of his order is dedicated to like essentially protecting the time stone um and so destroying it would kind of be the antithesis of that but i i also take your point um for what you're saying, yeah, there, maybe there's a plot hole in that they could destroy any stone, but the only one they really had access to destroy is the yeah. is the mind stone. The not, time stone, yeah. N- no, the mind, the mind stone, vision, right, the vision one, stone, the, the one that vision has. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but okay, anyway. But moving on to hashtag everyone dies. Yeah, um, or half of every, everyone. Ha- half everyone of everyone dies. Yeah. Half of everyone dies. Um, but they don't actually die. Um, yeah. And that's my problem. Is that like I feel like. The potential impact of this ending is severely lessened and almost like completely deadened by the fact that there are a ton more movies in this series. Yeah, and too many people like, have died. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. Like T'Challa dies, and I'm like, Spider-Man. You, you're you're telling me that after Black Panther just made like 800 million dollars, and like you've signed Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman to a five movie deal. You're telling me that he's just going to die. Yeah. Uh, like, and, yeah, exactly. Spider-Man. Too. The Guardians. Like, like, all of them. Like, Yeah, like, and it's like the best characters are dying. Like, Spider-Man, like, T'Challa. Like, you know, these are, like, the new wave of, of the MCU superheroes. And, like, you know, this, the last Spider-Man movie was great, in my opinion. It was one of the best movies in the MCU. I agree. And, like, it, it doesn't make, and, like, you know this movie was like sold out when I went to see it and Spider-Man was like clearly one of the most beloved characters, like, um, you know, just based on the audience's reactions throughout the entire movie. So like, there's just no way that these characters are. No, I mean, we also know that like sequels to these movies are already coming. It's yeah. Yeah. Spider-Man has a sequel. Black Panther has a sequel. Like the, it, 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 I mean, I understand what they were trying to do and I feel like, 
it could have worked like in a you know in a world where we don't know what's coming next Mm -hmm. but we do know what's coming next and like i mean that's like anyone above the age of 10 watching this ending is going to be like oh yeah maybe in the moment you're like oh my gosh i can't believe that just happened no but then when you think about it for like two seconds it's like well, yeah, um, so they can't be dead. To, to give my two cents on this, one of my biggest complaints about the MCU, and and this is just a function of, of it being a cinematic universe, right? Like you can't have your main characters die, uh, sure. like your flagship characters die. But like death, like there has never really been a point in the MCU where I've been concerned about a main character dying, like in a movie, yeah. and that takes. I mean, that takes a lot of the of the anxiety and, and stress and the momentum of a plot. It, it takes the air out of it sometimes, right? Like there's no point in. In Black Panther, for example, that T'Challa is actually going to die. Like, there, like there's no way he can't. Even, even though they think he's dead for like an hour of the movie, yeah, you're right. I, like, I never actually believed it. Yeah, exactly, and that takes some of the wind out of the sails of these of these movies' plots. And in Infinity War, I really felt going in that there were real Avenger lives on the table to be killed in this movie, and I and I still think some of them might. Like, for example, the opening scene. You get Heimdall and then Loki killed. Like, that's huge. That's crazy. You could never imagine that really happening in another MCU movie. Yeah, and along the same lines, like, this is... I I, I felt the same as you, that I was like, this is a movie where I can actually see, yeah, maybe somebody's going to die. And at the end of the movie, when they're having the, you know, the big fight with Thanos, like... Iron Man. Iron Man. Yeah. Exactly. And the, everyone in the theater, like, gasped. And I was yeah. like, well, this is it for him. And I was yeah. like... Honestly, I, I, you know, I was thinking, I was honestly like, I, I get it. Like, I think, I think it's perfectly fine for it, for this to be the oh, end for him because he's been part of the MCU for so long. Like, even though he is probably the best character in this whole thing, like, ooh, that's a fresh take. Let's go. Hot take, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, I mean, I, you know, I felt like this is kind of the Han Solo in the Force Awakens moment of him dying. Like, I felt, I felt like I would. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, gonna be. Uh, you know, too broken up because he has been such a part of this. And big I, like, big I spoilers for the Force Awakens. There, big spoilers for the Force Awakens. Yeah, but but you know he doesn't obviously, and he he's not even one of the ones who decomposes in the end. Yeah, be, I mean, I it just really dis- to get back to the point. It just really disappoints me that at the end of the movie, you just take everyone who died in this movie off the table. Like they like they can all come back because in the next movie they're just going to use the time stone. To bring everyone back to life. Yeah, that's exactly what's gonna happen. Yeah, and that's it's just as much as I like these characters, I love. I mean, I love Loki. Loki's one of my favorite characters in the MCU. And as much as I'd love to have more Tom Hiddleston in my life, um, I'm just I'm just a little disappointed. It makes everything matter a little bit less. It makes Gamora's death matter a little bit less. It makes you know. It doesn't mean that all these characters are gonna come back. Like maybe they'll only revive the characters who are killed in the in the snap of his fingers. But for me, it was just really disappointing because it was so unbelievable when I watched Spider-Man disintegrate, when I watched Black Panther disintegrate, when I watched, you know, Peter Quill disintegrate. Um, it was just, I was just like, this is, this is huge, right? For if, if you can really buy into this universe, it's, it's huge, but you can't because you know what's coming in the future. Yeah, and I, I mean, like, I think that they could have done a better job, kind of like what I was saying is, maybe if you just have one or two characters decompose. Like, you know, maybe if there's, if you just lose, like, one of the Guardians of the Galaxy, or, sure. you know, maybe maybe even a Captain America or Thor or Black Widow or somebody. Like, then I would actually believe, well, yeah, they could be dead. Like, you know, they could be dead, and it wouldn't really 
like it's not going to send the, the yeah. entire MCU careening to a halt. Like sure. half of the people who like half of the people in the entire universe dying, like which is what actually happens. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was that's definitely my major criticism. Yeah, and I know we we've spent a long time now dwelling on this and, and wishing how things mattered a little bit more. And I, and I do think we should spend a few more minutes right here at the end of our discussion talking about how this movie is like still a really good movie. Yes. Yeah. And, and I, I want to say like one thing that I want to shout out about it, which I haven't mentioned yet, um, is Robert Downey Jr. Because, you know, just watching this movie, like I was, you know, thinking about the fact that this movie has been 10 years in the making and thinking about how, Robert Downey Jr. has been the most consistent thing in this entire, you know, MCU. And you go all the way back to 2008. Iron Man was the movie which started the entire MCU. And, you know, at the time, Robert Downey Jr. was, like, he was a B-list actor. Like, he was a guy who... He was a drug addict. You know, had some good performance. He was in and out of rehab clinics. Exactly. He had had some good performances in the 90s, and then he had drug problems. And, like, he had kind of been forgotten. And so, like, for... Marvel to, you know, I mean, I don't know how much of this they had planned out from the beginning. A lot of it. It would, I, th- I think it would be, it would sh- it'd be shocking to all of us how much this was planned out in the beginning. Yeah. Well, but for them to, to start the, um, you know, MCU out with a movie that, first of all, Iron Man not being one of the more well-known superheroes nope. at least 10 years ago in nope. the MCU, um, to start it out with that and with him being played by you know, a sort of a forgotten actor in Robert Downey Jr. is like a huge risk. And there was, I feel like there was just so much writing on Robert Downey Jr. Like in that original Iron Man movie, like to, to make this, like to get people involved in this MCU. And like, he completely pulled it off. And like, here we are 10 years now and just watching Robert Downey Jr. in this movie doing his same old Robert Downey Jr. thing. And I mean, you know, you can criticize it maybe for saying that he does the same thing in every movie, but like, we would not be at Avengers Infinity yeah. War without Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, he is um, Tony Stark. I mean, Tony Stark is exactly incredible. Like, and you know, I still think, like I said, I still think he's the most engaging character in the entire MCU. And maybe it is just because he um, has been there since the beginning. But I also think that a lot of that goes to Robert Downey Jr.'s performance yeah. and like just the whole character he's created of. Yeah. Iron Man and Tony Stark, like, I think just jumps off the screen every time he's on there. And so, I mean, it's a real credit to him, even though he, you know, maybe he doesn't have the most range as an actor. Uh, I mean, this is really, like, the MCU owes more to him than it does anyone else. Yeah, and I think they pay him in full, as I think a couple years back around Civil War, he made something like $160 million or something else off of the different ticket sales and then Blu-ray sale. Like, he has he has a crazy nice compensation deal with Marvel. Yeah, I can only imagine. Uh, yeah, so we'll see. We'll see what his uh, compensation's like next year when you get the full the full spring of the dollars on this movie from the theaters and also from the Blu-ray sales. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Killer, killer, killer. But, no, I totally agree. Um, I think people... I think people maybe have been exhausted by Iron Man over the yeah. year. I'm thinking particularly around Iron Man... The, the sequence of Iron Man 2, Avengers, and Iron Man 3 coming, I think, all in a couple years span. I think there might have been some Iron Man exhaustion. But he's still, like you said, and I, and I can't, I guess, reiterate this enough, just like he he is the soul of the MCU. And, and I don't think he will be forever because especially you have this new blood. You have Black Panther. You have Spider-Man. You have Doctor Strange to some degree. You have the Guardians of the Galaxy. All these characters have become the lifeblood of the MCU, the new 
kind of the, the, the new blood, so to speak, to keep yeah. using a blood. And that's, you know, that's why I wouldn't have been surprised to see him die. But even though, even though he doesn't, like, I feel like there's still a slight changing of the guard because you yep. do have, like, yep. you know, Pepper, Pe- Pepper, like, in this, at least in the first part of this movie, is really, like, hounding Tony about, like, her, you know, her 30 seconds on screen. Do what? Her 30 seconds on screen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, really hounding Tony about, like, you know, you got to get out of this. And, you know, there's even talk about, at the beginning, about them possibly having a child. Yeah. Um, and he blew up his suits in Iron Man 3. He blew up all of his suits. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and, and, like, for example, Hawkeye and Ant-Man, like, we, we learned that they're not in this movie because they don't want to put their families at risk. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, maybe down the road, Tony Stark, because he is aging as well. I mean, you know. Tony Stark and Robert Downey Jr. Um, maybe he, you know, maybe this is sort of some foreshadowing of maybe he decides, okay, I'm going to hang the suit up and, you know, start a family in the same way that Hawkeye and Ant-Man have done. Yeah, I mean, not to be kind of, not to try to predict what's going to happen in whatever the Infinity War sequel sure. is going to be called, but, I mean, my my thought process is one or both of Captain America and Iron Man have to die. Um, and I think it's probably. Well, I hope be... Cap's an American. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's gonna be Cap. I'm pretty sure he's gonna wield the Infinity Gauntlet and it's gonna kill him. But he's the one who's gonna like save the universe and sacrifice himself. All right, we'll save this podcast right now and we'll return yep. to it in a year. It one, comes to, up... one to four years. Yeah. Well, isn't it next year? I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's next year. Yeah, next year is the next Avengers movie. But who yeah. knows? You know, how many <laughs> more movies there's gonna be in this thing? That's true. That's true. Um, but we'll see. And I, 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 I want Tony to go out on a good note. And I think a good note would have been him dying against Thanos, but I was denied that. Yeah, but at the same time, I also want him to, you know, be with Pepper and them start a family like they were talking about. So. Sure, and to be fair, I mean, in some ways they've set up this, they've set up this part two of this, of this Infinity War, uh, two-part movie, essentially, as the, kind of the last hurrah for the original MCU characters, in a way, like, the, of who you have left, mm-hmm. the majority are, you have, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, you have Iron Man, you have Cap, you have, uh, Thor, you have Black Widow, uh, you have Hulk. you have Hulk, right? Uh, you have all the OG Avengers, and I imagine that it, to your point about passing of the passing of the guard, it could quite literally be a we're sacrificing ourselves to recover half of the, the half of the universe that has been destroyed, and we'll see where it goes from there. And I could be totally off, and in a year we may be laughing about my prediction, but I, I'll be interested to see what they do with it. Absolutely. Cool. All right, let's get let's get wrap up here. Uh, what was your favorite scene from Infinity War? Uh, there are so many that come to mind, but I really think that I'm going to go with the scene that we already briefly mentioned earlier, which is the battle scene on Wakanda. Um, mm-hmm. I think that it's just so like epic, and it's like it's everything you want from this like spectacle of a movie. Just you know, all, every all of these characters just charging into battle, and you know we have a lot of characters who are involved in the battle at the beginning, and then like Thor shows up, uh, like Rocket and Groot show up also. Um, I believe in the middle of the battle, um, and it you know it just feels like everything is at stake, um, and you know it, it really is like a Braveheart style battle, like you know it, it's truly epic, and I think it's you know everything that I expected out of this movie. Um, and so that for me, action sequence wise was, was the definite highlight. Yeah, it's a great, (laughs) I mean, there's so many action sequences to choose from. I think for me, I I agree. That is one of the best scenes. Honestly, I just got extreme satisfaction out of every single time one of Thanos's like henchmen, uh, gets killed. (laughs) 
it they're like really despicable characters and i'm a big fan in particular of when uh ebony ma who is the person who is torturing dr strange uh gets sucked out of into space um that was a great moment. I mean, there's so many to choose from. I've already talked about Captain America's first uh, appearance in the movie, right when, you know, Vision and uh, Scarlet Witch are kind of cornered in Scotland by, I believe it's um, Proxima Midnight and Corvus Glaive. I could be wrong, though. Um, and, I'm not going to correct you. Oh, yeah, I didn't think that you would be. <laughs> but uh, I think that, that that's a really cool scene. And then also, I mentioned this one already as well, but to your point, the Wakanda scene where you have them charging... Uh, towards the force field that they just opened up and you get the Wakanda forever and it's just it's, yeah. a, it's a great moment and there's just some great moments in the scene too like when Scarlet Witch who has been you know kind of staying with Vision to mm-hmm. protect him like goes out to the battlefield and like destroys a bunch of people and yeah. I think it's Okoye that says yeah. is, is watching it and just says why has she been up there the whole time yeah that, that is like, a great it's just a great moment yeah that, that is a really good one that, I laughed really hard at that Every, everybody like burst out laughing yeah, it's also true. She's so OP. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, all right. Let's let's give it a score. Let's do. I'm I'm really curious what score you're gonna give this. Uh, I'm giving it an eight. Uh, wow. It was very solid. Um, and you know, I my quibbles about the ending, I think, don't take away from me uh, the fact that this was a very satisfying spectacle and that the filmmakers. Um, you know, like I said, they did pretty much about as good of a job as you could expect for two hours and 15 minutes of this thing. Yeah, you know, it's such, for me, rating, like, giving a score to this movie is so difficult because I think it's so different than any other movie, that, we, or not any other movie, but so many of the movies we talk about on this podcast. Um, mm-hmm. It's so different from, just look at last, last time, Isle of Dogs and A Quiet Place. Such different movies. Because the things that I'm thinking about that I'm going into this movie with are... Holy cow, the work that has gone into making this movie possible is incredible and alone is probably worth an incredible score. And then you have the movie itself, which is good. As I said already, good, but maybe not great. And I think that to try to remove the context of this movie is pretty difficult, if not impossible. And for me, the movie as a standalone film is probably a lower score than what I'm about to give it. But I think that um, an 8.4 feels about right given the event the spectacle of this movie i think if you take out that i'm landing somewhere around like a 7.5 because uh, i am a, i am a little bit more disappointed with thanos as a character which which i talked about at length already um so it's hard for me to judge that but it, if you put this movie in context it's it to me it's just incredible yeah i mean i, I was pleasantly surprised because i kind of thought kind of was expecting it to be a mess um but it wasn't all right, well, there we have it. That is Avengers Infinity War. <laughs> I can't believe we, we got through that. Uh, let's take a short break, and when we return, we'll be having our first movie club discussion, which will be of the movie Rocket Science. Uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It, Scott. We go from one long-awaited movie discussion in Avengers Infinity War to another, Scott, with our first installment in our movie club series, which everyone has definitely been waiting for 
for the last what we announced that we were doing a movie club four weeks ago. So, so. yeah, I think that's basically the same thing as ten years of hype. So why don't we just get straight to it? It came out like ten years ago. That's true. Was it two thousand seven? I don't actually remember. I think it was two thousand seven. Yeah. Yeah. So we're this week on our movie, our first installment of movie club. We're talking about Rocket Science. Why don't you give us a quick introduction since uh, you get all the credit for recommending this film? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So this is a movie which um, I really don't know when the first time I watched it was. Maybe about four or five years ago. Um, but I've always just thought it was kind of a underrated, uh, little gem that I've recommended to people throughout the years. Um, most of whom have really enjoyed it, um, that I've recommended it to, um, most of so whom I, this, I like that. <laughs> yeah. There, I, I'm thinking of one person who wasn't a fan, but it's not a movie for everybody, but, um, but yeah, so, but I thought it would be a great movie to kick off our movie club, um, segment, um, but this movie, um, like Scott said, is from uh, the year 2007, um, and it was kind of a festival uh, darling when it was released. Um, I think it was released at Sundance maybe first, um, and played well there. It, you know, it has good, uh, it, it's been received very well critically, uh, but it's directed by a guy named Jeffrey Blitz, um, whose only claim to fame, really, both at the time um, he directed Rocket Science and pretty much now, um, is directing a documentary called Spellbound about the National Spelling Bee, which is a great documentary. Uh, follows a bunch of kids as they compete in the National Spelling Bee. Um, so definitely recommend that one as well. Um, but Rocket Science um, is sort of set in the same universe in a way as the, uh, uh, the National Spelling Bee, but um, this is a fictionalized movie unlike that documentary. Um, it is set in the world of high school debate. Um, and it follows our main character, uh, Hal Hefner, uh, who's played by Reese Thompson um, in this movie. And Hal is, um, well, he's a very awkward um, young teenage high school student um, with uh, a, a stuttering problem. That is uh, his main characteristic. Um, and uh, he probably uh, does not seem to be the uh, the best candidate for a high school debate team, high school debate um, club. However, uh, he is recruited uh to the debate team by uh, the debate team's resident all-star, Jenny Ryerson, um, who is played in this movie by Anna Kendrick um, in a very early role for her. And uh, he's recruited by Jenny to join the team and, in fact, to be her partner um, in an attempt to rebound from a previous disappointment, uh, which Jenny had at the previous state competition when her uh, all-star partner, Ben Wexelbaum, played by Nicholas Diagosto, um, had a had sort of a meltdown hat on stage and forgot what he was uh, supposed to say and ended up surrendering the title to the, their rival school. Um, and so we, we follow Hal as he goes through um, his his attempt to succeed both on the debate team and also his just attempt to make it through life um, despite being uh, rather awkward and things just going very poorly for him. Um, in general, uh, I think that's pretty much an accurate uh, summation of the movie. Yeah. Um, so, do you, since I, you know, I've seen this movie many times, I have a lot to say about it. Um, but why don't do you want to get us started with some general impressions on Rocket Science, since you have never seen this movie? Before? Yeah, no, I, I came to this film, watched it for the first time. I think actually this time last week is when I was watching it, and, and I had no idea what to expect going into it. You told me. 
even less than what you just said, I think, in, in kind of a rundown. You told me what that it was about debate and that the the main character had a stuttering problem and that it was a coming of, it was a very different kind of coming of age film than maybe what yeah. you get a lot of the time. And I think that with that background going into it, I had no idea what to expect. And it is a strange movie to me. I can't I guess just to just to not bury any lead here, I cannot decide whether I actually like this movie or not. Um, and I don't, and I don't mean that in a negative way, even, um, cause it is different. And I think that there, it, it is meaningful in its difference. And I think that I really appreciate the way that it sets itself apart from the genre of coming of age films, which, uh, I mean, we've talked about a couple different ones already in, on this podcast, if not in full sort of movie review discussion, but in passing between, you know, Lady Bird or Love, Simon, uh, m- movies that are, you know, textbook coming of age, <clears throat> Sorry, textbook coming-of-age films that have a typical sort of trajectory in them. And I think that this movie is different than that. This movie presents its main character with problems, with flaws, uh, the most obvious of which is his stuttering problem and his lack of confidence in general in life. And it doesn't present easy solutions to them, and I really appreciate that, even if not everything that happens in the movie uh, is something that I really vibe with, if that makes sense. Yeah. And well, since you since you brought up the stuttering problem, why don't we talk about the stuttering uh, sure. a little bit? Because I personally I see the stuttering as sort of more of a metaphor. Um, you know, obviously it's a uh, it's a physical characteristic which Hal has, um, but it also sort of mirrors the way that he is uh, sputtering through life, um, and, uh, and 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 in the same uh, way, like sort of through puberty and like sexual awakening and all of that uh, there's a, there's like a, just a lot of references to like relationships and to sex throughout this movie um which i think uh you know uh, go towards the fact that hal is coming of age i think we really do see him coming of age in this movie um in a lot of ways um but you know obviously he's not responsible for everything that goes wrong in his life as well. Um, you know, his, his mom is kind of a basket case. Um, yeah. his brother, Earl is crazy. He's also one of my favorite characters in the movie. Um, but he's, he's crazy. Like he's psycho. Yeah. Um, and he has this whole thing about agendas, how he's obsessed with, you have to be keeping an always be keeping an agenda. Yeah. And your agenda for a day is an agenda, is a sub agenda for the week. And it's just, which in itself is a sub agenda for the entire year. Um, which, yeah is kind of funny but um and, but then of course you know jenny um who spoiler alert spoiler alert spoiler alert um we find out is just manipulating him um and yeah. you know i the writing is sort of on the wall although i when i admit maybe it was just the the, the effect of coming to this movie cold when i first saw the movie i didn't quite see what happens coming in a couple moments of the movie and that's one of the things that i liked about the plot um uh, is yeah. that it, it does keep you guessing or at least it did the first time yeah. i saw it um yeah. but you know the way i see it is that the the uh how stuttering problem is just sort of a metaphor for the way he's kind of an outsider especially in this world of, of high school debate especially alongside people like jenny who are so put together um and so like just have their lives in order um to an almost annoying degree yeah so that's that's just sort of my take on Hal as a character and you know his stuttering problem and all that so i was just wondering what exactly is your take uh on Hal as a character and also you know on reese thompson's performance as Hal because he's not he's not a hugely well-known name reese thompson 
Yeah, I, I don't. I definitely didn't. I don't think I had this, or at least to the extent of the take that you had on Hal's character. I, I totally hear what you're saying though about about how he is a metaphor for you know obviously wider uh, wider problems, I guess so to speak, and a, a, a wider coming of age sort of message, if you will. And I, I guess for me, my take was I was just really interested in, in why a stuttering problem, and so I actually did a little bit of research and found that. I didn't realize this, and I don't know if you knew this, but Jeffrey Blitz has has a stuttering problem, or at least did at one point have a stuttering problem. I did not problem. know that. Yeah, so it's partially based uh-huh. off his experience with a stuttering problem, and I thought that was super interesting. I that made a little bit more sense to me about the movie because I I didn't quite get, especially given the context of what you're saying, how it's a metaphor for wider issues, why he chose a stuttering problem, and why that's uh, like why that came about. So that that gave a little bit more context and made a little bit more sense. And for me, I, I just, the, I guess I, I can't help but just jump to the end of this movie and think about the ending and think about how you don't get maybe the conflict resolution you were hoping for, or at least maybe I was hoping for in this movie. Like he, he doesn't solve a stuttering problem. He doesn't win a debate competition. Um, well, yeah, I th- honestly, I think that's one of the things which I like about this movie, um, in, especially in contrast with a lot of other coming-of-age movies, which do maybe strain a little bit to get that happy ending. Um, but, like, the way I see it, the world that Hal lives in and also the kind of person he is, I mean, his stuttering problem, I assume, is a, a medical condition. Like, I can't see him really kicking it throughout this movie. But, like, the, just the, the way that Hal is and, and the way, like, the, the world is around him and... and where his life is, there's no way he can achieve the type of victory that, uh, you know, maybe he would in a, in a worse movie. Like, you know, there, there's no way that he can actually go on to win the debate tournament, even when he does recruit Ben Wexelbaum to be his partner. Um, like, it's not, like, I, I would not, it would not have been realistic. I would not have believed for a second. Um, and I feel like it would have, um, backtracked a lot if it had gone for that ending um and so that's one of the things that i like about it is that i think hal does get a happy ending like i think he gets the happiest ending that is possible for him um in that he does basically get his revenge on jenny and you know there's that great moment in the final moments where he finally is able to order the piece of pizza um and i which is obviously symbolic for you know another sort of victory and you know shows how he has uh, how far he has come throughout this movie. Um, so I think that he gets the best ending that is possible for him. And yes, maybe like if you look at it on a broad scope, it's not, you know, happy, happy ending. But uh, I think it works because it's not, at least in my opinion. I agree. No, I would say I, I go back to what I said a little bit earlier, but I'm not sure whether I like this film, but I really appreciate the way it wraps up its story and that it doesn't go crazy and like oh like even with his stuttering and he, he can sing his speech or whatever yeah. he can he can pull out a, a w and that's something that i really appreciated even if i wanted maybe i wanted something more out of this movie but the reality is and i think this is what you're saying is that anything more isn't believable and as tough as that is i appreciate that yeah exactly um i, I think hal is just He's just a, kind of a very unfortunate character, and you know we get a lot of uh, humor out of that. But also, there's you know a lot of sympathy for him as well. And one of the things, like one of the reasons why I really like the character of Earl, his brother, um, is that 
Earl, like, you know, some of these characters, like Lewis, the weird kid that lives <laughs> yeah, on the yeah. street, or Heston, um, you know, his friend from school who, uh, you know, his mom is dating his dad um, Jesus, throughout yeah. most of the movie. Um, you know, they're just obviously characters that to provide comic relief. But Earl, like, we actually see him progressing as a character. And, you know, obviously he's in the early stage of the movie, he just, he tortures, he basically tortures um, Hal, and he calls him all these girls' names, um, which never actually changes throughout the movie. But um, <laughs> th- then there's that scene when he kicks open the bathroom because Hal has, uh, I think it's when he's he's drunk his um, his, al- his bottle of liquor um, yeah. that, that, um, that Earl had been hiding. And he sees Hal basically just lying in the bathtub, clearly just like miserable uh, and like depressed. And, you know, you're expecting him to just go into his torturous behavior. Uh, but he doesn't like he backs off and he says like there's leftover cake in the fridge or something uh, to Hal. And it like it just shows like that he does have a softer edge. Um, and so I really appreciated that um, uh, in the development of Earl's character. Yeah, I yeah I agree with that. I think that I mean you I think we were te- we were texting back and forth when I was watching this movie. I think, and because some of Earl's lines at the beginning are just absurd. I don't actually I don't actually admittedly remember many of them off the top of my head, um, but I just remember some of them being absolutely incredible. Just in terms of like crazy, crazy things to like for someone to say in a yeah, movie. It's I'm like gonna, I'm gonna, what is it? I'm gonna rip out your. Pancre- or I'm gonna reach into your eye socket and rip out your pancreas. Yeah, that was. Yeah, and I'm gonna use your chapstick on my ass and so, like something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, there's there's just a lot of really good like one-liners in this movie. I think one of the ones that I always come back to, which always gets me dying, is when uh, when Hal asks Judge Pete um, because because Heston's dad, who his mom, who Hal's, Hal's mom is dating, is a small claims judge, and he asks Judge Pete after he's joined the debate team, you know, have you ever seen a lawyer who you know has a speech impediment or has you know can't speak very well in front of people? <laughs> And Judge Pete just responds by saying, uh, I saw a bailiff once who had a prosthetic leg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, which is hilarious in my opinion. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. And so I think... I, I, I think... Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, let's talk... Why don't we talk about um, the other main character who we haven't sure. touched on a lot, and that's Jenny, um, played by Anna Kendrick, obviously in a very early role. Uh, what was your opinion of her character and of Anna Kendrick's performance? Yeah, you know, I that uh, Anna Kendrick is. I I mean, I guess people. I feel like she's generally very positively received. She hasn't yeah. done that much besides Pitch Perfect, right? I don't know. I could be totally off on that. Yeah, but, I mean, she's done it like Up in the Air. Oh, true. Um, that's was true. Her first big breakthrough movie. Yeah, some other things. Yeah, I think she's good. I mean, she's good. I don't think that I'm not going to remember her performance for years to come in this movie. But she's a very memorable character. You you don't like her. I don't think you're ever meant to like no. this character. And in that sense, I was turned off of her very quickly. I I never, for a moment, really liked what she was doing. Not that I mean, it's not it's not because she's assertive that is uh, you know, turns you off. Obviously, it's just the way that she clearly is manipulating people around her to doing what she wants, and shows no no interest or care in like the other people around her. And in that sense, I think she does a great job acting this role. Like, she made it believable that, to me, that she didn't care about Hal from a very early 
point in the movie. And she made it very clear to me early on that she has, to, to use Earl's favorite phrase maybe, like has her own agenda. It's clear that she has her own agenda. We don't maybe know what that know what that is. And to your point, I think that some of the quote-unquote plot twists of this movie can still get you. I think that it's not, they are well, well, I guess, conceived. And you can piece them together if you go back and think about everything that's going on. Um, but you don't necessarily see them coming. And I think that, you know you always have a sense that something else is up, right? Like, it does, It just doesn't make sense what she's doing. And I think Anna Kendrick plays that role very well. Yeah, I agree. And I think, like, I think she gives a great performance in this movie. Like, I think her performance may be the standout in this movie. Um, I think that's fair to say, just, yeah. Just because, like, I think, too, like, the way that she speaks, like, perfectly captures this insanely type A debate. Yeah, polished Yep. Nerd, like, like even when she's not in a competing in a debate round, it seems like she's debating you always, just yep. by the way that she's speaking. And so I think she perfectly captures that type of character and like talks really quickly and you know is always arguing with somebody about something. Um, and that you know sort of gets at a larger thing, which I also really liked about that movie. This movie is, I think that it really understands like the world of high school debate really well. Um, and so I'm, you know, maybe this also comes from Jeffrey Blitz's own experience. Um, but I think that uh, it really captures like the intensity and just like it, it captures like the language of debate um, really well, which is, you know, perhaps not something you would expect um, because we don't see a lot of movies about this topic. Um, and But I mean, there's even one moment where Hal is about to go into a classroom where Jenny is speaking and we hear her describing what spreading is um, to like. This, it's a really small thing. I only picked up on it like this time, but she's explaining what spreading is, which is where you you know you talk really fast and try and cram in as many arguments as possible so that uh, your your opponent can't respond really, um, and that you can get as many points as possible. Um, but that's just like you know that's a very inside baseball type thing um, for uh, you know a movie like this to uh, put in. But I think that it really captures. Uh, the intensity of, of high school debate really well, and it, and it treats it like with the respect that it deserves, um, you know, as it, almost as if it was kind of a sports movie. Yeah, I totally agree, and, and I think that it doesn't lean fully into the sports aspect of it, but you get the valuable snippets of it, and it reminds you of that. And I and I like that because I think this, I would I think that if it tra- if it leaned harder into that element, it it would maybe lose its identity. But I think yeah. it really formulates it, this movie formulates its own its own identity, you know, with some sports elements, with a lot of coming of age, and then mixing those two together and taking its own spin on both genres. I think I really appreciate that this movie creates its own identity rather than tries to adopt one of or the other. Yeah, agreed. Um, so that was what we that that's Hal and that's Jenny. Um, what about some of the supporting characters? I know we've touched on. Um, a few. Yep. Or did you have sort of a, a favorite member of the supporting cast? Um, yeah. Or you know a character you found particularly funny? I mean, funny. I mean, Earl uh, is, is hilarious. Heston, yeah. I don't get Heston. Like he has a few funny moments, but he just makes me kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> when he's I think in... that's kind of the point. <laughs> oh, yeah. it definitely is the point. No, it definitely is the point. But it it didn't mean it, it meant that I didn't like love him being on screen. Yeah. Like I I think the one in particular that comes to mind where. After he had, after um, Hal had stolen the trophy from the debate tournament that uh, Jenny had won, 
um, and brings it back home and Heston's dad, Judge Pete, is that his name? I can't remember. Judge Pete, yeah. Yeah, Judge Pete. <laughs> it's like, you want, a, you want a trophy, it's amazing. And then like Heston comes up to him after and he's just like, I'm so ignorant or I'm so sorry, I didn't yeah, even I realize. I I didn't know that you were. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh my god, this is so bad. Um, so that was really awkward for me. Uh, I don't say that I love that character, but funny still, nevertheless. And yeah. in terms of like favorite characters, I do really like, is it Ben Wexelbaum? I'm a big yeah, fan yeah, of him great. as a character. He is, I mean, in some ways, he's like that all-knowing kind of mother character that you expect to see in most like coming-of-age films or like... Any, any film where you need, like, some really good sage advice to, like, drive the plot home. Like, the, t- the English teacher. He's the English oh, teacher. Oh, sure, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, the English teacher. He's the English te- I mean, he, I guess he kind of is the English teacher in some ways in this movie. But I think that I, I really appreciated his character. And I guess just from a favorite perspective, I suppose it's that. But, I mean, you have Earl, you have Heston. All, all strong supporting characters. Yeah, They're memorable. Yeah, we also the coach played by the, the always great Margot Martindale. Uh, oh, yeah. She is known on uh, BoJack Horseman character actress Margot Martindale. Um, she, I think she does a great job as sort of the beleaguered coach of the debate team who, you know, is kind of uh, uh, hanging on to Jenny being her rock star. And then when, of course, Jenny pulls what... Uh, she pulls her scheme. There's this sort of this air of inevitability about, uh, like, she, like somehow she always expected that something was going to go wrong. Uh, but I think Margot Martindale is always uh, a great uh, actress who shows up in a lot of supporting roles. Um, yep. Agreed. But yeah, uh, so I guess we can move into sort of the wrap-up phase for uh, Rocket Science now. Sure. Um, so uh, why don't you... Uh, Go ahead with what your favorite moment or scene was in this movie. Oh yeah, there's a clear standout one for me. Okay. <laughs> uh, I didn't even after watching this movie, I didn't. It wasn't even a second thought. This is okay. the scene that I was just sure. like, oh my gosh, I'm so feeling it. This is amazing. When Hal, so it's after. Actually, I'm forgetting exactly when it is, but I believe it's after the debate oh, tournament. I think you're gonna say my favorite. Oh, I mean, I don't know how this isn't your favorite scene in this movie if it's not. Like, it's just, this is such a good scene. He, I th- I'm not, I, I, I'm gonna admit that I'm forgetting a little bit, but I think he's drunk in this scene. I could be wrong, though. Oh, okay, yeah. Is this not the same scene that yeah, you're thinking is, of? No, is it the cello? Is that what you're Yeah, yeah, no, I'm definitely leading yeah. into that. And, and he's, he, he's drunk. Yeah, yeah, he's drunk. He's, he's, drink, he's drunk Earl's uh, bottle, is it whiskey? I don't even remember what it is. It's uh, something, yeah, it's some kind of really fancy liquor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes over to Lewis's house, which is across the street from Jenny's, and eventually decides... Hey, I'm going to mess this girl up, I guess. Takes takes Lewis's mother's or father I don't remember who played the cello, but takes it yeah. takes his mother's cello, walks across the street to Jenny's house, and then repeatedly tries to throw the cello through the window, ultimately being successful. But it's just like <laughs> it is a train wreck to watch this scene. You're like, oh my god. Wexelbaum is later like, you threw a cello through <laughs> her window. Yeah, the poor it, cello too. Now that now the uh, what is it? Lewis's parents say want to sit and listen to an old married couple work out their problems, song, <laughs> yeah, whatever. They can never play blister on the sun, blister in the sun on that cello again. Yeah, R.I.P. Um, R.I.P. to that cello. But amazing yeah. scene. But that actually is not the moment that I'm thinking of. Although it oh, okay. is a great moment. I mean, I love pretty much this entire movie um although i will say briefly since we didn't touch on this the one moment which i don't really like in this movie uh is like the last two minutes um and this is kind of what we with his dad 
Do what? With his dad? Is that the... Yeah, with his dad in the car. Um, it's kind of what I talked about recently with the movie Thoroughbreds, how much I loved it, but how there was just sort of a coda at the end of the movie, which is just a little unnecessary. Yeah. Um, it was also just like weird. The... Yeah, it, it was. It seemed very out of place because the dad wasn't really a character at all in the movie. Um, yeah. And he, but he meets up with his dad, and there's just sort of this little conversation about uh, how he said, how says is, or he tries to say that like, oh, life and love aren't rocket science, but he can't actually say rocket science. Um, but I don't know. It just felt a little like they were trying to hammer something home that they really didn't need to. Like I think I really think that the movie could and probably should have ended with the scene of him eating pizza like on the beach. Uh, because that really is like the ultimate mo- moment of victory for Hal in this movie. Um, but as far as my favorite moment, um, this is also, I think, for me, clearly the funniest moment in the entire movie. Um, and that is at the first debate tournament um, when Hal, basically he's gone into his first round and he, you know, can't can't say anything. He can't even get through reading what the contention is. Um, yep. Like, without stuttering and so he at the break in the tournament he calls his speech therapist yes. he's like a, just a really oh, weird guy so funny um, and his speech therapist goes says something about like he knew somebody who was able to help fix it by speaking in uh, in an accent like speaking <laughs> in a different accent so how it gets up in his next round and, and like i don't even know what the accent is supposed to be but he tries speaking in an accent and like, you know, it has just disastrous results and it's hilarious. Uh, just listening to him do whatever sort of accent this is, as he's trying to say, let's get down and dirty or whatever. <laughs> it's like the start of his, uh, argument. Yeah. Uh, and it's just a hilarious moment. Um, but I just think that there are a lot of, uh, you know, really small moments and small lines, which are really funny. And also, uh, you know, on a, on a bigger level, I think very, uh, pointed as well sure and i think that will just about do it for rocket science I don't, unless you feel strongly about putting a score on it i i wasn't going to but yeah we a, don't you know this movie's been out for 10 years so we won't really factor in our year-end list so we don't have to uh sure. Sure. give a score but this movie for me at least it would it would be in the nine uh in the oh, nine wow. range so, okay yeah I do, I do love it i'd have to think i'd really this is a movie that would require me to think a lot more about it to actually give it a score yeah, well, like i said we don't necessarily need to do numbers because we're not building up yeah. to anything but. it's 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 such a un i mean unique is a strong word because there are a lot of movies out there but i think it's a uh-huh. really different take on the genre and i think it's worth seeing even if uh, ultimately maybe i enjoyed only parts of it not all of it and maybe i like it maybe i don't i have to think more about it it gets yeah, not every not everyone is going to enjoy it because of how oddball it is yeah uh, but i think that the people who uh, go with it will really enjoy it because it does have such an off-the-wall charm about it yep all right well we hope that all of you enjoyed watching rocket science and also enjoyed our discussion here stay tuned for your future iterations of movie club there will be more coming uh, for now though let's take a short break and when we come back we'll be having our discussion topic of the week along with a little movie trivia schmodown and before we wrap things up with some news back in a sec <laughs> Welcome back for part three of today's Some Like It's Got. It's time 
for us to enter our discussion topic of the week. But before that, Scott, there's a couple other movies you've seen recently that I think that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, so I watched a couple movies on Netflix recently, um, probably when I should have been studying for exams. Um, Mom, if you're listening, I have been studying. Don't worry. Um, But uh, two very interesting movies that I watched on Netflix and two movies which I uh, definitely recommend, although they are very different. And just to touch on both of them really quickly, um, the first one is a movie called Well, I'll talk about this one first, since it flows nicely from Rocket Science. Uh, Rocket Science may have been the only movie ever made about high school debate. Um, That is, until this movie came along. Uh, And actually, was weirdly enough, was just released like last week on Netflix. um, And happens to also be set in the world of high school debate. Uh, And it is called Candy Jar. And if... uh, rocket science is a little too off the wall for you then this is the movie for you because um this is a also a portrayal of high school debate um which you know it has very driven characters um much like rocket science does but it is a much more conventionally um appealing conventionally sort of it's it's a it's a crowd-pleasing movie um and you know it doesn't have the same bite to me as rocket science and i Definitely do not recommend it as highly as Rocket Science, uh, but it is a very charming, um, very uh, watchable Netflix movie. Um, and just sort of the basic plot is that we have two, uh, you know, high school debate champs. They go to the same school. Um, uh, and so we have Lona, who's played by Sammy Gale, and then we have uh, Bennett, who is played by Jacob Lattimore. Uh, and, you know, they're two debate champs who go to the same school, uh, but they hate each other. Um, or at least they tell us they hate each other. That was one of the small problems I had with this movie is that I think that they don't really establish well enough why these characters hate each other um, because in the end they don't end up hating each other. Um, But basically what happens is they're both debate champs and through a string of events uh, that involves their moms fighting, who their moms happen to be old high school rivals as well. Bennett's mom is played by Uzo Aduba and... um, Lona's mom is played by Christina Hendricks, um, both of whom give great performances. Um, but they have a little spat, and it leads to Bennett and uh, Lona being disqualified individually from the state tournament, and they're forced to team up together uh, to try and earn their spot in the state competition that way and further their dreams of going to I- Ivy League schools. Um, Bennett really wants to go to Yale. Lona really wants to go to Harvard. Um, and, of course... We all know that as this movie goes along, their relationship is going to change and that they're, you know, going to gain an appreciation for each other. Uh, But with that being said, like I said, it is very charming. Um, There are a couple of plot thing, plot directions that it takes that are interesting that I wasn't really expecting. uh, And I don't think that all of them necessarily work, but I would rather a movie like this, like take the chance, um, and maybe not quite pull it off, um, as opposed to just going into the same tried-and-true paint-by-the-numbers formula. So I, I respect it for trying. Um, and in the end, you know, this isn't a very substantial movie, um, but like I said, I had a really good time watching it, and I think the two young actors who I hadn't seen in anything before, either one of them, I think they do, they're both great, um, and I hope that they go on to do uh, bigger things than this. Uh, in the future, because they both do a great job, and I really was engaged by the characters in that relationship. Uh, so I definitely uh, recommend that you watch Candy Jar. Uh, I'm giving it a 7.2 overall. 
Um, and you can check it out on Netflix right now. Like I said, it just came out. Uh, the other movie which I watched, uh, big pivot from the uh, uplifting hijinks of Candy Jar, uh, is a movie that I've been wanting to catch up with since it came out a couple years ago. And it's called Christine, uh, directed by Antonio Campos. And this is the true story of a woman named Christine Chubbuck. Uh, are you familiar at all with Christine Chubbuck? I believe vaguely. Yeah, okay, so I knew the story of Christine Chubbuck, or at least the the ending of the story, which is what most people will know if they watch this movie. Um, it's not like a hidden story, but it's maybe not the most well-known thing in the world either. But she is famous uh, because she was a television, a local television news reporter in uh, Florida in, I believe, the 1970s, and she committed suicide live on air. Um, and so this is the story of Christine uh, Chubbuck and sort of the the months leading up to uh, the the moment when she takes her life on television um, and sort of shows just the downward spiral that she went on. And, you know, I didn't know a lot of the story other than, like I said, every, everyone knows that Christine Chubbuck shot herself. If you know about Christine Chubbuck, what you know is that she shot herself on live TV. Um, but you don't really know all of the things leading up to it. Um, and the, the real reason to watch this movie uh, I think it is a good movie overall. Like, I think, uh, you know, it's well-made by Antonio Campos. Um, and it has some interesting things to say about journalism. And, like, you know, because the reason Christine ends up taking her life is because the news, her producer, who's played by Tracy Letts, really wants her to uh, be more sensational and focus on, like, blooded guts, as she calls it. Um, so there's this sort of subversive, like, sort of nightcrawler element um, to what the message sort of behind Christine. So I really appreciated that about the movie, but the real reason to watch this movie is the incredible performance by Rebecca Hall as Christine Chubbuck. Um, I have no idea how, how she did not get nominated for an Oscar for this movie, except that maybe it just didn't reach enough people. Um, but this is one of the best performances by an actress that I've seen in a long, long time. I mean, like she is Christine Chubbuck. Like she becomes Christine Chubbuck. Um, her manner of speaking, like everything she does, like she fully 100% commits to this character. Like you could tell that this role was probably like a labor of love for Rebecca Hall. And I've enjoyed her in a lot of movies in the past and mainly supporting roles, but this is, it's really a tour de force um, in the lead performance. Um, so for that reason, I would probably rate Christine at about an eight um, because I think that her performance is worth the price of admission alone. Mm -hmm. um, but you can check out both of these movies on Netflix, like I said, and I think they're both worth checking out on Netflix. Yeah, big Rebecca Hall fan. I loved her in The Town. Um, yeah, exactly. She's been great in, like, The Town and Vicky Christina Barcelona, a, a bunch of other movies where she played... Iron Man roles, 3. She plays in... She's, Iron uh, Man 3, yeah. sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's interesting. I haven't seen that movie, but I'm, I'm intrigued by it, and uh, it, your praise of her performance is, like you said, it seems like it's probably worth the price of admission. Yeah. Since it's zero dollars, since I already have a Netflix subscription. So. <laughs> awesome. All right. So on that note, why don't we go ahead and transition to our discussion topic, which you have also come up with for us this week. You're you're really pulling you're pulling your weight this week for sure with all the stuff you're covering. <laughs> well, I just sort of had an, an idea. This will be sort of the plan for the future on these discussion topics. You know, in the past, we focused on sort of a question maybe related to next uh, the movies we're going to discuss on next week's episode. Um, but it's not always easy to come up with those topics, so I kind of decided to, to change it up a little bit um, based on something I saw on Twitter recently, which was just sort of a thread of people naming what was the best movie of 
each of the years of the 2010s, I think it was. So I thought, what about, what if we expanded that out? Um, and so what we're going to be doing over the next uh, quite a few episodes, I guess, uh, is going through the years that we've been alive um, and for each year saying what we think is the best movie to come out in that year. Um, so we were both born in 1995. Um, and we, so we're, we're going to start there with 1995. And uh, we were talking about this beforehand, but there are actually a lot of great movies to choose from. And so we each, I think, chose an honorable mention. So why don't you tell us first what your honorable mention was? Yeah, you know, I, I didn't, I'll admit, I, I looked up movies from 1995 when we started doing this, and because I, I had to remind myself, because I, I do not have an arsenal of 1995 movies in my back pocket to, to whip out, uh, and I came across Toy Story as a movie that came out in 1995, which, you know, this is a favorite, not a best discussion, and I'm not saying that Toy Story deserves to be in a, in a best discussion either, but uh, for me, it felt wrong not to mention Toy Story, because it's such a, it's such an iconic movie, it's an amazing movie, I know that... Like, I mean, I know people who don't love Toy Story, or at least not as much as other people do, not as much as I do, but it, Toy Story is a really great movie. Yeah, and like it was so revolutionary as well, because it was the first computer animated movie. And like a lot of. The first movie to Wait, be was it actually? Yeah, first movie to be completely oh, animated that. by computers. Um, which a lot of people, I think, forget that fact. Um, so not only is it like actually just a great movie, like, you know extremely well made like great story very emotional but it is also like revolutionary for animated movies as a medium um so you know i think it's it's absolutely um not only worth a, a favorite discussion but also a, a best of that year discussion but i would i should say we are talking about favorite movies of 1995 you're not necessarily what is objectively the best uh so sure. for my honorable mention uh i went with uh, Terry Gilliam's 12 Monkeys, uh, mm -hmm. which is a uh, sci-fi uh, parable of sorts um, starring Bruce Willis. It, it, this is really just one of those movies which is it's just kind of a mind bender, um, you know, sort of in the way that like Memento. Um, the Sixth Sense. I don't know. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, is and it, it just it really like demands a lot of his of its audience to say to, to keep up with what's going on um but like if you do it's it's an extremely rewarding movie like extremely complex um and it, it really just does keep you guessing throughout the entire movie um and i i really enjoy like the dark darkly comedic in some uh spots even uh, especially with brad pitt's uh supporting performance as sort of this uh crazy mental patient uh but, it, yeah, it's definitely a great movie, sort of an underappreciated gem to check out from Terry Gilliam if you've never seen it. Uh, but with that, let's move on to what our favorite movie from 1995 is. So what did you choose? Yeah, so I was I was texting you about this. I had a tough time uh, deciding what my favorite movie was because there are quite a few to choose from, and some of which we won't be able to talk about because there are so many. But it's another Brad Pitt movie, uh, although I suppose he's not a supporting actor in this, in this one. And it's going to be Seven. Uh, an iconic thriller from back in the mid-90s, 1995, of course, as this is the year we're talking about, but starring Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, and then a very memorable, if not a, uh, unfortunately now a little less timely, uh, Kevin Spacey uh, performance as the villain in Seven. And don't forget Gwyneth Paltrow as well. Oh, What's the, in the box? Well, um, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> I, I mean... It's been out for 23 years. I think we can spoil it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, of course. The the 
I, I think for me, there are a lot of incredibly memorable scenes in film and cinema. And the that reveal and that plot twist is huge. Um, it is not for the faint of heart. It's not a movie that, that takes its thrills lightly. Um, but I like a movie that doesn't take its thrills lightly, and I think you do too. Yeah, and this was a, like... It was the, first of all, it was the movie which really made David Fincher. Like, yes. this was the movie that he yes. really made his name on and went on, obviously, to have an amazing career that's still going on. Um, but it's also like it's an, as he said, it's really not for the faint of heart. Like, it's a very like uncommonly like grim thriller, um, sort of in almost the way that Science of the Lambs was. Um, but I actually. This is probably a hot take, but I actually think Seven is a lot better than Silence of the Lambs. Um, Wait, I, I, I feel, I'm sure your hot takes on Silence of the Lambs. Is this the first time it's come up? You have a lot of them, so. Yeah, well, this maybe this is the first time, but in my opinion, Silence of the Lambs is one of the two most overrated movies of all time. And all right. I won't, I'll, I'll save the other one for a future hot take, um, yeah. because it is also maybe even a more hot take than uh, Silence of the Lambs. So I'll keep you in suspense of, as to what it is, because I want you to keep listening to this podcast, if for no other reason than you <laughs> just hear me uh, reveal what the other most overrated movie of all time is. Uh, but... Anyway, I think, yeah, this is this is a great movie, and, like, it really just leans into that darkness, which is something that, it, you know, wasn't maybe wasn't common among movies uh, at that time. Uh, so I think that it's no surprise that David Fincher was really able to make his name on this movie. Um, moving on to my selection, which is not dark in the least bit, or grim or grisly, um, <laughs> unless you find Valley Girls grim and grisly, uh, and that is because I'm going with the teen movie classic um cult classic yeah really for me probably second only to juno in terms of like superior teen movies um i would put it ahead of mean girls uh because i think that in in a lot of ways this movie paved the way for mean girls but i'm talking about you're dead to uh, me so it's fine do what i said you're dead to me mean girls is definitely (laughs) the best movie. yeah i figured that wouldn't go over well with you but i'm talking about amy heckerling's classic (laughs) clueless uh, starring Alicia Silverstone as Cher, uh, one of the great characters, teenage or otherwise, in any movie, in any comedy of the 90s, for sure. Um, and, and she plays, you know, the, this valley girl, incredibly spoiled um, by her father, played by the great Dan Hedaya, um, an underappreciated performance in this movie. Um, and she, really, there's like... And not a, a super cohesive plot in this movie. It kind of just coasts along on Alicia Silverstone's charm. But, you know, of course we have the introduction of Ty, played by the late Brittany Murphy, who's kind of this rough new girl in school, and, and Cher sort of befriends her and tries to, you know, make her over into basically another clone of Cher. Um, and then, of course, we have sort of the relationship between uh, Cher and her stepbrother, Josh, uh, played by Paul Rudd. Um, and of course, this is this is loosely based on the Jane Austen book Emma. But I think that Amy Heckerling, who also directed another um, coming of age classic, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, um, she really uh, gives this movie a spin that, while I'm sure it felt fresh in the '90s, I mean, it definitely felt fresh in the '90s, and I think it still feels fresh today. Um, with especially with the way that these characters talk, I think this is one of the most quotable movies ever, and like that's one of the reasons I would put it up there with Juno because I think it, it has the same sort of thing where it really just invents its own lingo. Um, as if came from that, right? Didn't as if as a, as like a thing yeah, to exactly. say come from, that, yeah. that's the movie which patented as if. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it really like 
creates its own lingo and that is infectious uh, in and of itself. Um, and, you know, I still quote lines from this uh, movie today, like, for example, the one that immediately comes to mind when they're uh, at tennis practice um, and uh, Ty or one of the other girls is has to go uh, play tennis against the gym teacher. And she says, oh, I'm sorry, my doctor said I can't uh, participate in any activity where balls fly at my face. And Dion responds by saying, well, there goes your social life. Um, <laughs> so, you know, just, it's just great little quips like that, um, which make this movie last a long time. And obviously great characters. I mean, and, and this is a movie which is still relevant today. Like you said, it's a cult classic. It really is like, you know, fancy the Iggy Azalea, Charlie XCX, like hit song from couple years ago the music video is completely based off of clueless um it's a great music video so go watch it but uh you know maybe this isn't the best most substantial movie to come out of 1995 uh, compared to something like seven or braveheart but uh this is a movie which stands the test of time for me i've seen it so many times and i am always happy to watch it again yeah i mean clueless is it's a cult classic through and through and uh I totally see and take your point about it paving the way for Mean Girls because I think that's true. Even its aesthetic is similar to Mean Girls. Yeah, but I actually think like one of maybe one of the things which I like more about it than Mean Girls is that it's not as mean as Mean Girls. Like <laughs> share, uh, like obviously you know Mean Girls, you should know what you're going to get with Mean Girls. But uh, like share is while she is you know shallow and vapid to some extent, she's like she has a good heart. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why you just you really love this character throughout the entire movie, even even though she is materialistic and, and vapid to some extent. Like her heart is in the right place. She, she's always trying to do the right thing. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's a it's a movie worth. I mean, because of its status, in some ways, it's it's a movie. Yeah, you just, have to see this. Movie. Yeah, just as worthy of seeing as any as any Oscar nominated movie. So. Definitely. Cool. All right, time to switch over to the Schmodown. Want to talk? Want to walk us through what we've seen recently? Yeah. So uh, we have had uh, this week in particular. We've had some big matches in the Schmodown. Uh, on Tuesday, we had the Intergeekdom Championship title match between uh, Jason Inman and uh, Mark Donica, uh, new- newest member of the Lions Den. Um, I know you're a big Intergeekdom uh, fan, uh, more yeah. so than I am, just because I don't really know a lot of the questions, but sure. uh, what was your take on what went on in the Intergeekdom match between Inman and Donica? Yeah, so I, I was talking about this off-air briefly right before uh, right before we started, but I had made the mistake of, I watched it a day late and had listened to Harlov's State of the Union address already, and so I'd heard who won the match, so I was like, kind of, I was like, oh, well, I already know who wins this, but... Um, I, I thought it was good. Like, Donica hung in there, but, I mean, Inman is clearly... I mean, at least from what I've seen so far of Inman, he's a, Inman knows more uh, than Donica does, just kind of period, I think. Yeah. You know, of course, there's always... You know, there's always some element of luck involved, and anyone on any day, if you if you have a baseline level of knowledge, can can win a match. So there's always, uh, you know, an intan- uh, a luck aspect of it, just because you're smarter... Uh, or no more questions in general than someone doesn't mean that you're going to win a match. And so there, and it was still tense to some degree, but I think the TKO was, was a worthy result for Inman, who definitely was on top of his game. Yeah, and I mean, Donica, this is the first time where he's really had to go up against a veteran sure. um, in the Intergeekdom division, particularly 
which is particularly tough with someone like Inman, who from the beginning he kind of you know was all about the inner geekdom belt and really wanted to make this his own and like made it his quest basically to ever since that title match between I think it was Jeremy Johns and Robert Meyer Burnett when he tried to interject and get himself in the match and uh, Robert Meyer Burnett basically vetoed it. Ever since that moment, he has made it his quest basically to take the inner geekdom belt. Yep. Um, and, you know, obviously he was able to do that from Navarro at the Spectacular and he shows no signs of, uh, of surrendering that belt anytime soon. Um, and you again kind of see the incumbent advantage of, of having the experience of seeing of having been in not just the betting round, but I think, I mean, I always, it always comes back maybe just because Sam Levine is so good at the speed round and Jason Inman is also very good at the speed round, but it is, it's such a huge element that most players don't ever see. Yeah. And like, I think Jason ended up picking, it was a four one in the speed round, I think in favor of Jason. That's Um, what it was. Yep. But like, you know, even watching it, like, Mark Donica, he it didn't even look like he really had his hand like in a good place to like get to the buzzer quickly until like maybe two or three questions in when Edmund was just dominating him. Uh, so yeah, again, there is just I guess type, kind of a learning curve um, with that. But that's actually something which was discussed in Friday's match or in the in the post match to Friday's match, um, which is like like you had with the Intergeekta match. I actually had this match spoiled. Um, for me, because during the Bateman and Draco match last week, um, they mistakenly uploaded a version where Christian spoiled the result of the Clark Wolf Mike Kalinowski number one contender match. Um, they they quickly took it down and uploaded a amended version, but not is, before I saw the uh, the original version. Unfortunately, which is a real um, shame because this match. I mean, was this the best match we've seen so far this season? I mean, this is an incredible match. It's up there for me with the Shire Wolves Lions Den match. Um, this was yeah, this was a fantastic match. Like even knowing the result, uh, it was it was a great match. It went to sudden death, obviously, um, and uh, Clark Wolf was able to pull it out. Um, but this is this is really it was the return for Mike Kalinowski because obviously he played in that triple threat match at the start of the season and got crushed sucked yeah, yeah. like he he did not play well at all three points um, or something like that what did he get yeah it, some, it was yeah it was in the single digits but and then you know at the free for all i think maybe he lasted like two rounds um so you know this is really his chance to prove himself again and <clears throat> while he wasn't able to get the win he did prove himself uh for sure like he has nothing to be ashamed about um he scored 20 points in this match and took it to sudden death. Um, and he had a fantastic pull for, for his five-point question with Bill Paxton as having directed frailty, which I actually knew the answer to. And I was ho- even though I was rooting for Clark in this match, I was hoping he would get it because I, I wanted to see the match go to sudden death. And obviously, once he got the question right, I knew it was going to sudden death because I knew that Clark was going to win the match. Uh, but it was a real shame that he couldn't pull... Uh, Mr. Popper's Penguins, and as Sam Levine pointed out afterwards, he mixed it up with Mr. Magorium's Wonder Emporium. Yeah, um, that was hilarious. By choosing Dustin Hoff instead of Jim Carrey. But again, he played a great match. But I want to get your thoughts on, we had an interesting bit of kayfabe during the match and after the match um, involving Kalinowski. And like, you know, we had this narrative going into this season with him and Brianne, how they were... 
it was kind of it was really unclear what their relationship was, but they had kind of teamed up to in, in some way, um, and there was a lot of build up to that going into this season, and they just haven't really done very much with that. Um, and now, I don't know. Based on what happened in this match, it almost seems like uh, Kalinowski might be leaving Brienne because there's a moment after in the post match interview where he's talking about how well no one in the crowd was really supporting him except one person and he wouldn't say who the one person was but he was like this one person i wasn't expecting them to be supporting me but they had my back and i really appreciate it um you know which seems like they're teasing maybe a team up or that he's going to join a faction in the future but i have a theory on who it was but i want to hear first who who do you have any any theories on who maybe that person was yeah you know i noticed that and i also thought about this a lot and i actually i i have failed to come up with any concrete ideas that i think are even like remotely possible um for me though oh go ahead i think the thing which makes the most sense to me is that the person is actually john roca um because we have i was wondering that yeah with the live match roca and nos teased that the four horsemen were returning um with new horsemen obviously um and i think we haven't heard really anything more on that since um although we got a little bit in the patreon match with matt nose but um no spoilers yeah no spoilers but um but i think it makes sense that kalinowski would be a person who who would join up with with roca and nose i think he he would align with them pretty well in terms of their personalities in the showdown. And actually, I, some people have pointed out on the Facebook page, I, I haven't really gone back and checked to see if this is the case, but that you might actually at one point be able to hear Roko like yelling out something in support to Kalinowski during the match. Um, so it seems like maybe that's where they're headed with this, but I also don't know what this means for Kalinowski and Brienne. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe with Brienne winning the free for all, they've kind of decided to go their separate ways a little bit. Although, you know, we still have that cutscene with Kalinowski trying to get the title match from Brienne. Sure. So there's a lot of stuff going on with Mike, um, and hopefully they will kind of clear it up in the coming weeks because it's a little uh, out of sorts. Uh, but yep. this was a great match, um, and you know, if you're not a big Schmodown person, but you're trying to get into it definitely give this one a watch yeah agreed and and to your four horsemen point i think that yeah i i was thinking about this i was thinking with that scene you know maybe maybe ko will join uh will become a horseman and i was also you know maybe maybe justice will also join maybe jason yeah. would be someone who could potentially fill up the rest of that if kalinowski joined exactly he's one of the other people i was thinking about as being the fourth person him or possibly ethan Irwin. Yeah, I was thinking Ethan Irwin, but I feel like Ethan Irwin's not going to faction up. I, I just don't see him joining the faction, but that's just me. Yeah, uh, so as far, just to briefly touch on as far as what we have going forward, Christian posted today that May 18th is going to be the title match between um, <coughs> Clark Wolf and Sam Levine. Um, of course, could be it's definitely going to be an interesting match. Clark has actually beaten Sam before. Um, yep. Granted, that was a long time ago. And not in the speed um, round, so let's find out true um and clark is playing very well right now but i mean sam obviously is as well so we'll uh we'll see that should be an interesting match um we also have a stipulation match coming up between team action and dc movie news uh another match involving kalinowski there um but i haven't quite looked into completely what the stipulations are for this match i kind of just heard about this today but i saw something to the effect of Team Action saying that if they lost, then they were going to have another match 
uh, a, which is basically a retirement match. And if they lose both of those matches, then they have to break up for a year, um, which would be huge because they're you know a huge uh, force in the Schmodown. Um, so that that is definitely also something to watch out for in the future, as well as the uh, other live matches coming up: the Star Wars three-way match and then the uh, Shy Wolves team action match. Yeah, they're gonna if, if there is a retirement match, they're gonna like give them somebody new probably. So like, I don't I don't feel like the Schmodown can afford to lose Ben Bateman and Andrew Guy for a year. I don't think so either. Yeah, I mean that's just my take, but I, I'm pretty I'm pretty fresh on this. But if you're agreeing with me, I feel pretty good about it because you've seen every <laughs> Schmodown, so. All right, all right. So I think to finish up today's episode, we have some news headlines. Only a few this week. Uh, all my news has been dominated by Avengers: Infinity War, so I I was able to skip over all those since we've already talked about its r- ridiculous box office numbers. But anyway, I saw over the past couple weeks that Star Trek Four is 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 supposed to have a female director, which is a big deal for Star Trek. It hasn't happened uh, in that franchise. It hasn't happened in Star Wars either, to be fair. Unless I'm mistaken. No, I don't think so. Um, so that's a big deal. It's not a. It's not another white male directing a, a sci-fi fantasy movie. And I don't know if I. I mean, I don't really have any additional thoughts to add other than I just wanted to give it a shout out because I think that's. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good decision, uh, especially when you look at what Patty Jenkins did last year yep. with Wonder Woman. Like, yep. obviously, it was a huge hit, and you know, on a lesser scale, obviously, this wasn't as big of a movie, but. Greta Gerwig did a lot for female directors with Lady Bird as well. Um, so yeah. I think this is uh, a, a good decision and a, a natural decision for Star Trek to make going forward. Yeah, uh, I look forward to the day where this isn't a news headline. So Yeah. Yep. All right, uh, you brought this up uh, a few hours ago, but A Quiet Place is reportedly getting a sequel. My response to you was, that's so disappointing. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, don't... I think I, I, I can kind of see how how they're getting one. Yeah. I mean, well, for, I mean, first of all, it was obviously the movie did really well, but I mean, the ending too is a, a, a little bit of a cliffhanger, which we talked about in our last episode. So. That, that's true, but it's also like not a cliffhanger in a way that requires a sequel. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think so either, but nowadays, if there's even a hint of one, they're going to give it a sequel. Yeah, I can't imagine. it as well as A Quiet Place did. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine John Krasinski signing on to do that movie. I don't know. We'll see. I imagine it's still a few years in the future. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yep. All right, and then last bit of news, uh, a darling for you. I know you're so excited to share this with all of our fans because you've talked about it, I think, a handful of times already, but Florida Project, one of your favorite movies, if not your favorite movie from 2017, if I'm not mistaken, is yes, on... Yes, my number one. That's what I thought, yeah. Is on Amazon Prime Video right now. If you are a Amazon Prime subscriber, you can go watch that movie for no additional cost, and you should. Yeah, you have no excuse for having not seen it now. And that goes for you too, Scott, because I know you still haven't seen it. Yeah, um, I mean, the difference is I purchased it because when you told me that the uh, the movie was, was all the proceeds were going to charity that one week, right. I went out and purchased it. So, um, so maybe you should go buy the movie instead, even though it is on free uh, Amazon Prime Instant Watch. Um, sure. But sure. Any, either, any way you can get it, um, definitely watch this movie. It was It was my number one of last year, and I'm excited to check it out again. All right, absolutely. I know that it's still on my to-watch list, that, and I think at the top of it right now are like Call Me By Your Name and uh, Shape of Water still, so I'm, I'm weeding my way through the, the big hitters from last year, uh, slowly but surely. Cool. Cool. I think that will just about do it for Episode 9 of Some Like It, Scott. Scott, do you have any parting thoughts to leave us with today? Just that uh, I'm, I'm comforted in the thought that in two weeks when we do our next episode, 
I'll be done with my first year of law school. Incredible. It's pretty a, incredible. That actually, that actually is incredible. Um, I would, I'm going to hold my congratulations until then. Yes, <laughs> because I still have four exams to take. So. Well, I will wish you the best of luck. Uh, in the meantime, maybe not the best way to uh, advertise, uh, to distract you from your studying, but where can people find you on Twitter? At uh, Scarfy Dent. Um, hopefully I won't be tweeting that much because I'll be studying, but if I am tweeting a lot, then tweet at me and tell me to stop tweeting and start studying. I will remember that this week. You're, you're done this time next week, right? Uh, no, I, uh, oh. I have two more weeks. Oh, you have two full weeks. All right, well, uh, yeah. take two weeks off, guys, and then go visit Scott on Twitter. Uh, after our next episode. <laughs> awesome. I can be found at shelton 2013 over on Twitter as well. And more importantly, though, we also want to remind you about our Patreon page, and we'd love it if you checked us out over there, and especially so if you decide to support us to help us cover the cost of making this show, obviously in exchange for different rewards tiers, whether you get the episodes early, uh, the, the tiers, you can go check them out over there, the rewards uh, scale up from there. If you ever choose not to support us on Patreon, that's totally fine. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts, where we'd really appreciate it if you rated, reviewed, subscribed, shared, all that jazz, so that we can continue to reach a broader audience, and you can also subscribe directly to us on SoundCloud, where we host our podcast. All right, I think I've said enough. We really appreciate all of you for taking the time out of your day to listen to us chat about movies. We'll be back in two weeks. Scott will be done with law school, and we'll have two new movies to talk about. Sorry, first year of law school. You're not done with law school yet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jumping the gun a little bit. We have a few it more episodes. I feel like I'm done with law school, but alas. Uh, uh, yeah, alas indeed. But we'll be back in two weeks with two new movies. Tully uh, from the creators of Juno, which was got a shout out earlier today, I believe. And uh, The Seagull, one of my five anticipated movies of 2018. Uh, but until then, we hope you have a wonderful day. For Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening.